James Kennedy Ministries presents Truths That Transform. The cultural Marxists on the far left are trying to reinvent America by erasing her past. So you look at uh, someone like George Washington, our first president, and he exercised a lot of humility, a lot of grace. Uh, that would have been very biblical in terms of his thinking and approach. America is in serious danger because of lies about our founders and their principles. Discover the truth on today's Truths That Transform. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. February is when we celebrate President's Day. But for generations of people, that holiday was once a specific celebration of George Washington's birthday. Like much of our history, its original meaning has been largely lost. That's why it's more important than ever before to look back, not as some dry academic exercise, but because men like Washington secured our freedom and established it as a foundation that is today being eroded and even actively attacked. On today's program, we will dispel one of the great myths of modern revisionist history. The myth that George Washington was an irreligious deist. And you'll discover why this matters so much. We begin with a look at an excerpt from our Providence Forum's new documentary, George Washington. George Washington was elected the first president under the Constitution. He was elected unanimously, the only president to ever be so. And so, on April 30, 1789, George Washington was sworn into office in the city of New York, where the national capital was at that time. And as you look at the pages of history, you look at George Washington, uh, what did he do when he was sworn in as president? He brought the Bible. And he had it laid down, and he raised his right hand, and he was sworn into office. And by the way, that's a tradition that has continued with every president since, uh, using the Bible as the document. And that was not just symbolic. It wasn't just designed to, you know, they needed a prop. It was understood that we need the Bible, the authority of the Word of God, to be read alongside the principles in the Constitution for this government to work. And, and Washington modeled it in so many ways. And following his strongly held tradition from the Anglican and Virginian context from which he came, he wants to take that oath with the Bible. And that same Bible, I believe, was used when George W. Bush was inaugurated as president. And as he takes the oath of office, he adds words that are not in the Constitution, but were spoken by him numerous times, even when he began his public life as a surveyor. In Virginia, when you took an oath, you always concluded it with the words, so help me God. And so Washington starts a tradition that has been carried on since that time, not in the Constitution, but when the oath of office is taken, it is said, so help me God. And it's fascinating that those that witness him taking his inaugural oath 
they saw that he followed another Anglican custom, and that is he bent over and he kissed the Bible. When an Anglican, an, or let's say an early Episcopalian, took an oath, the reason he kissed the Bible was saying, I've made a promise with my lips, and I know I can only keep this promise if they are committed to the Word of God. And he believed that he would have to give an account for those words. Next, he delivered his first inaugural address, in which he mentioned how grateful we should be that we had become a nation at all. It would be peculiarly improper to omit, in this first official act, my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. George Washington After the inaugural address, Washington and the leadership of the new country and their wives attended a two-hour prayer and communion service at St. Paul's Chapel, a building that still stands in New York, where George Washington had his own pew. He walked a few blocks with several others to a little uh, now Episcopal chapel, and that's where they had a two-hour worship service, thanking God for the beginning of a new form of government, a newly elected president. Washington, his cabinet, the members of both houses of Congress, and their wives participated in a two-hour Christian worship service, which culminated in Holy Communion. George Washington received the Lord's Supper in that service. And then we have the record of a lady named Mrs. Alexander Hamilton, who recorded with her family how on that particular day she had the joy of kneeling and taking communion with the newly elected President of the United States. Here on the most auspicious day of his entire life, he goes from the public celebration to a worship service, and he communes, taking the Lord's Supper. Several months later, Congress asked Washington if he would proclaim a national day of thanksgiving, since the new nation had been able to peaceably frame its own government. Washington agreed. So, on October 3, 1789, he issued the nation's first official day of thanksgiving as a new nation. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor to render our national government a blessing to all the people. George Washington. Because of Washington and the new Congress, November 26, 1789 became our nation's first official celebration of Thanksgiving, hearkening back to the Pilgrim celebration of Thanksgiving in the fall of 1621. Later, Abraham Lincoln would turn Thanksgiving into an annual holiday. Within a matter of hours of having approved the First Amendment with its language, Congress shall make no law respecting establishment religion, this same Congress sent a request to George Washington asking him to set aside a day in the public calendar for prayer and Thanksgiving. And Washington complied and responded with a very moving Uh, Thanksgiving Day proclamation, setting a precedent that other presidents have followed of issuing uh, days of prayer and thanksgiving. Repeatedly, George Washington read the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. 
His speeches and writings, public and private, are filled with biblical phraseology. George Washington's favorite verse was Micah 4.4, and he uses it up to about 50 different times in his writings. And it's really what he wanted for America. And it says, each one will sit under their own vine and fig tree with no one to make them afraid. That you'll be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor, your vine and your fig tree and other things that you've done. Washington was not one to cling to power. When his second term was up, he was determined to return home to Mount Vernon. If President Washington had been an overly ambitious man, he could have seized ultimate power for himself in America. He could have become a lifelong dictator. But he did not even seek to serve a third term in office. He did not want to set a bad precedent for his successors who might want to cling to the reins of power for too long. As you look at uh, the fact that he uh, limited his terms, you know, he could have easily been in for life. And he said, no, I will be two terms. Uh, they wanted to call him king. He, no, I will be called president. And, and so he modeled a lot of the biblical humility. They wanted to consider sort of a uh, royal family. And, and the understanding was, no, uh, we're going to have peaceful elections and we're going to transition. And it actually, uh, he modeled it going to a different family. And so you look at uh, someone like George Washington, our first president, and he exercised a lot of humility, a lot of grace. Uh, that would have been very biblical in terms of his thinking and approach. Before he retired, he had a farewell address written up. It was never delivered as a speech, but was published in the nation's newspapers. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. So he was saying Christianity is absolutely essential for a Republican form of government because it is self-government. It takes a moral people to have a republic that protects liberty. All of that reflects Washington's view of his Christian faith and how important that Christian faith was for the kind of government that he was establishing. He understood more than anything that there was no way that what they were hoping for, this political prosperity, would be possible without virtue. He lived that in his life, he knew that it was the case, and he also understood that virtue, realistically speaking, is not possible without religious faith. They were not shy about this. George Washington once noted that he would be aghast if anyone ever twisted the Constitution to exclude religion in the public arena. If I could have entertained the slightest apprehension that the Constitution framed by the Convention, which I had the honor to preside, might possibly endanger the religious rights of any ecclesiastical society, certainly I would never have placed my signature to it. George Washington. One of the most important days in world history was the transition from George Washington as our first president under the Constitution to John Adams, the second president. That date March 4, 1797, a transition of power in peace was significant in world history. Throughout history, there have often been bloody transitions from the first ruler to the second ruler because power is what people struggle over. 
But under the American Constitution, there was a stability there. When we look at George Washington, we're clearly looking at the great icon of our country, the United States. He is the man who has given his name to our capital city. He was called the father of his country in his own lifetime. He has been called by historians the indispensable man. Every time this new country was being developed, they looked to Washington as a general, as a government thinker, as the first president. He is extraordinarily important for America. So whatever his faith was then becomes important for us. While modern myths say that George Washington was a secular deist and that America was founded as an irreligious nation, the historical facts are plainly otherwise. But in our day, those facts are actively being twisted and obscured by the cultural Marxists on the far left. That's why you will want to get the full hour-long version of the documentary you just saw a brief segment of. George Washington, produced by our own Providence Forum and Dr. Jerry Newcomb. As thanks for your generous donation of $60 or more, we will send you the documentary plus the beautifully illustrated hardcover children's book, George Washington's Providence. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339 or call toll free 877-962-7677 or go online to djkm.org and we'll have more on both of these great resources later in this program we often think of George Washington as a model of leadership but have you ever thought of him as a spiritual model for your own life? Perhaps you should. Here's Dr. D. James Kennedy with more in this portion of his message, The Faith of Washington. Today I'd like to talk to you about a man who, in my opinion, was one of the world's great noblemen. George Washington, the father of our country, First in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen, said Major General Henry Lee after Washington had died, and surely he was that. But what made him so great? What was his secret? Cyrus Edmonds says, The elements of his greatness are chiefly to be discovered in the moral features of his character. It was said that the character of George Washington was the wonder of the world in his own day. The Duke of Wellington, when Washington died, keep in mind this is a British statesman, general, an enemy in the recent war said, the purest and noblest character of modern time, possibly of all time. 
The Duke of Wellington said that George Washington was possibly the noblest and purest character of all time. An enemy said that about him. And it is fascinating that even during the Revolutionary War in England, there was never any aspersion on the character of George Washington on the part of his most implacable foes. But what gave rise to that amazing character which was the wonder of the world? He was born, if we trace back the river to its source, in a godly home. On both sides there was a long lineage of godliness in that family throughout all of his life long, whether he was a, a young man, an officer in the army, a general, or the President of the United States. At nine o'clock he would rise up, leave the living room, and take his candle and retire to his library. And there, from nine until ten, he was not seen. And then at ten he would emerge and go to his bedroom. On several occasions, different people who happened to be in the home, because of certain emergencies that arose, found that they had to go into the room, the library, to seek his attention. And they found him invariably on his knees in front of a chair with the candle on a stand next to the chair and the Bible open before him, praying. Washington prayed aloud in private, but he always prayed aloud as was the custom of many people in that day. After retiring, he would arise every morning at 4 a.m. and spend another hour in the same room before the same chair, in the same posture, with the same book open before him. In the presidency, he took the oath of office and his first act subsequent to that was to bend over and kiss the Bible on which he had just taken his oath, the Bible which was open to the book of Genesis. In that first inaugural address, he said this, It would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplication to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aid can supply every human defect. In his farewell address, he said that of all of the dispositions and habits which lead to good government, Religion and morality are the inseparable and, and necessary pillars and support. And he said, let not that man claim the name of patriotism who seeks to undermine those pillars. Would that our children could read and study the life of this godly man who was first in the hearts of his countrymen, the father of our nation, a man whose character was the wonder of the world, and the source of it all was a lifelong and abiding faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, and in whose mercy and sacrifice he assuredly rested confident 
of eternal life through the mercy and grace of God. I hope that one, if there is anyone here who trusts in any morality or character of his own, that they will see that here this man whose character was the wonder of the world trusted not a moment in it, but trusted rather in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And for those of you who are Christians, I hope that you will, like myself, be challenged by the constancy and fidelity of this man in every aspect of his life, in his devotional life, in his public pronouncements, in all that he did, that his life might redound to the credit and glory of Jesus Christ, his Savior. As you've seen on this program today, George Washington was a devout, active Christian, and his Christianity was essential to the work he did helping to establish the country. You may perhaps ask, so what? Why should all of this matter to us today? But that is precisely our problem. We have forgotten our foundations. And as a result, America has come unmoored from its core founding principles. Washington was one of the architects of the American system of freedom. And he said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Indispensable, of course, means something we cannot safely set aside. Yet many are attempting to do exactly that, set aside both religion and morality. As a result, political prosperity cannot be sustained. That's why it's essential to recapture a true understanding of our Christian founding. The excellent hardcover book, George Washington's Providence, will help you communicate that truth to your children and grandchildren. And we'd like to send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. This beautifully illustrated hardcover, coffee table type book is an important educational tool for families, budding patriots, and future historians alike. Each page is a delightful lesson about George Washington's legacy of faith. Beloved entertainer Pat Boone has said, this book needs to be in every home and in every school in America. And it's our gift to you as thanks for your generous donation. And if you are able to give a donation of $60 or more, we will send you the book plus the new DVD documentary special, George Washington, produced by our own Providence Forum and Dr. Jerry Newcomb. You saw a bit of this documentary earlier in the program, and this full-length DVD special includes insight from William J. Federer, Jenna Ellis, Walter Williams, Eric Metaxas, and more. The historically 
and morally ignorant have been busy tearing down statues of George Washington for the past couple of years. Discover the truth of George Washington and why he still matters today in this powerful new DVD documentary. That's the beautifully illustrated hardcover book, George Washington's Providence, as our thanks for your generous donation, and the book, plus the new DVD documentary, George Washington, as thanks for your donation of $60 or more. And as you give, you will be helping to push back against the lies of the cultural Marxists and proclaiming the truth about Jesus, the gospel, and America's true Christian history. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. George Washington stood out in his day, not merely by his imposing physical stature, but by his impeccable character and his unshakable Christian commitment. Even one of his political enemies called him the purest and noblest character of modern time. For the better part of two decades now, this ministry has presented a Distinguished Christian Statesman Award to recognize those whose commitment to Christ and love for country compels them to stand for truth and righteousness in government, in our own age. But we live in a period where the ideal of Christian statesmanship has fallen on hard times, with few understanding its meaning. These two words take on a unique distinction when combined. A Christian is, of course, a person who repents of personal sins, believes the gospel, trusts in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and invites God by His Spirit to dwell in his or her heart. Such a person lives a life guided by the Spirit of God and acknowledges His sovereignty. And true statesmanship is revealed in that person whose public and private conduct are guided by bedrock principles over which he or she will not compromise for personal or political gain. Such a person rises above partisan politics, making the welfare of the nation the first priority. Many people wrongly think today that Christians should not be involved in government and that government should not be administered by Christians. But America was founded on the lives of Christian statesmen. Today, our long legacy of greatness as a nation continues to depend in large part on faithful servants of Christ who work in the halls of Congress, the chambers of the Supreme Court, the rooms of the White House, and similar bodies at the state and local levels all across America. But when our educational and media institutions are bent on undermining both Christianity and American principles, where will the next generation of Christian statesmen come from? Pray to the Lord to raise up such men and women from this generation because America will perish without them. 
D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for being with us. Here's a look at the next truths that transform. We got to stop because every time we got a problem, the solution is less and less of your freedom. Less and less of your freedom away. I want to be free. I need, I need to be free and I want to be free also. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.